Hello, I'm Marie Zmeyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to a wide choice of wellness professionals ready to assist and inspire. Today's topic is how to slow down aging, blue zones at nutrigenomics. My guest is Anita Hamilton Williams, functional medicine health coach from Johannesburg. Welcome back, Anita. Thanks, Mariette. It's lovely to be back here. After our conversation, it will be fun question time. Anita, aging well is a hot topic at the moment, and I, for one, is very interested in evidence-based information on how we can achieve this. Our discussion will address the lifestyles and habits of populations around the world that have the longest lifespans and are the healthiest in their old age, based off the book, The Blue Zones, written by Dan Bittner in 2012. We'll also look at nutrigenomics or how the foods we eat can affect the way our genes work. And we'll find out if this is what we're seeing demonstrated in the Blue Zones. Before we dive in, could you please tell us what you do? I am a functional medicine health coach, and so I help people get into the best health of their lives. I think we we all want to live long, we want to live well, and we don't only want to live long, but we want to have a long health span as well as having a long lifespan. And so what I do is I help people. I work mainly with those in 40 plus, so women in midlife, and I help them navigate those, I suppose, what can be quite challenging years because our health shifts quite drastically prior to 40 to being after 40. And I help them navigate those those years and um, set them up for really good health later on in life. Now we're coming to the blue zones. What, uh-huh. what are the blue zones and where are they located? So the blue zones are denoted by five specific areas that were researched by National Geographic and Dan Butner in 2012, as you mentioned. And there, are f- there were five different regions across the world where they found that there were a high number of centenarians. So people living over 100. And what they did was then go into those specific areas and try and understand what was common to the people living in those zones. The five areas that they identified were Sardinia in Italy, Icaria in Greece, Lindaloma in California, Okinawa in Japan, and uh, Nicoya in Costa Rica. And you can see from just mentioning all of those, that they're scattered right across the world. And it's not to say that those were the only um, areas where they found centenarians, but large groups, large populations of them. And I did a little bit of research myself and found that in those particular regions, you're looking at an average age of death around 112 Goodness me. And if you look at um, the stats coming out of the USA today, because I think we can align ourselves a lot um, with those Western countries, is the average age in the US for mortality is close to 80. So there's a huge difference. It's almost, 
Well, in fact, not, not almost. It is a whole generation from 80 to around 112. So it's a whole additional generation that those individuals get to see and get to experience. What are the key factors that contribute to the long and healthy lives of the people in the blue zones? Okay, so two different areas that really stood out. The one was around nutrition and the other one was around um, community or around lifestyle factors. And if we look at nutrition, each of the different areas have a quite a different diet. So the two I'm going to specifically reference today are Ikaria in Greece and Sardinia in, in Italy. Both of them are islands. Sardinia, I think, is, to, is on the west coast of, of Italy, so quite a small little island. Ikaria is also on the west coast of a little island off the west coast of Greece. All right, so if we have a look at the, at the type of food that the Ikarians eat, we do have dairy, mainly goat milk and cultured products and a little bit of feta. We have legumes. Diet is fairly high in legumes, being all the kinds of beans. The oils used are your olive oils. They also do include alcohol, um, one to two glasses a day, mainly red wine specifically, and also little small amounts of honey. A wide selection of vegetables, a lot of wild greens, which are foraged from around the countryside. Loads of different herbs are used. And herbs are also drunk as part of a herbal tea, so a regular introduction into, into daily life. Animal and seafood products, we've got sardines and salted cod if they're not near the coast, and then a little bit of goat, and then a couple of fruits that are on the island. So not a huge variety of foods coming from there, um, but we can certainly relate to the types of food that they are eating. What is important, though, to note is that some of the foods that they are eating on a regular basis contain what we know today as being a bioactive. And a bioactive is a compound found in food that talks to genes and switches genes on or off. And so, for example, if we look at the wild greens, these wild greens contain some bioactives called sulforaphane or quercetin, and there are hundreds and hundreds of these bioactives. And in fact, we don't even know all the bioactives in food today, so we are continually discovering them. But it's these bioactives that can influence what is happening genetically, which is why when we look at diets from Ikaria and compare that to diets from Sardinia or any of the other blue zones, as long as the individuals are eating foods that contain high levels of those bioactives, they're doing exactly the same and they're having exactly the same impact um, genetically. So if we look at if we look at Sardinia, in fact if I was given a choice to live on Ikaria or Sardinia, it would probably be Sardinia because they've got a much wider variety of foods that they eat. Um, so we're looking at, from an animal protein, we've got chicken and goat, pork, cheese, goat yogurt, a wide variety of seafoods. And then once again, we have fruit grown on the land, vegetables grown on the land, legumes, herbs. We have um, specific wine that they have, which is quite unique to that particular region. And then 
what we didn't see in Acaria that they do have in Sardinia is grains. They've got a flatbread, they use flour, barley flour, flatbreads and a sourdough bread. And then we also have a little bit of, once again, the olive oil coming in, some almonds and figs. And so the two diets are different, but they contain largely, they are largely plant-based. They contain small amounts of animal protein. They contain good fats. They um, contain seasonal produce. They include herbs. And they also contain a lot of the wild greens, which is where we get a lot of the bioactives found in that. And if we look, for example, at South Africa, and we say, well, do we also have anything similar that we can that we notice around us and I'm not sure if any of the listeners are familiar with Mfino or Morocco which is which is a, a wild spinach that growing up in Natal that I was exposed to and if we have a look there's a clinical research paper detailing the nutrients that are found in this particular wild spinach and it's quite noticeable that it's grown it actually grows where there's a lot of disturbed ground and so it's recognized as a weed and so you would probably if it was in your garden you just pick it up and throw it away it contains more calcium and magnesium than regular spinach and swiss chard that we would buy from a supermarket it contains the same amount of zinc and iron and selenium that those particular ingredients do. And so this weed that we visualize as a weed and something that we throw away, it will grow on a pavement crack, you know, it fights, it makes its way through. And that's part of the, the benefit of eating some of these plants is that in nature, in order for them to survive, they've learned to adapt and they have a protective mechanism. And of course, when we eat that, we are ingesting that and we are taking that into our bodies as well. So we are being strengthened by that. But this particular wild spinach that I'm referring to has also got really high levels of the bioactives of quercetin and also amounts of camphorol, I think it is. And as I say, there are hundreds and hundreds of these bioactives. There are a few that stick in my mind, but I, I wouldn't even be able to list or pronounce all of them. So if we look locally, there is a lot of information that we can pick up from local cultures. Here in South Africa, if we look at foods that are possibly, let's have a look at dairy. The Ikarians that use a lot of the cultured goat milk, we look here in South Africa, the indigenous uh, populations would use mass or amasi, which is the fermented, fermented milk. And when we have any level of fermentation in a product, what we are doing is we are breaking down the milk sugars and sometimes the proteins in order to make it more digestible. And we are also, what is the microbes that are breaking it breaking these produces down, then become part of our gut health and they contribute to creating a balance of good microbes in our gut. And so um, I don't think that we should always be looking at what is happening outside in other cultures, yes. but looking at 
how do we do it in South Africa? What can we learn from how individuals have been living over the years in South Africa and look to something local and introducing that locally as well? That's fascinating. Any other key factor you'd like to clarify? So around lifestyle and traditions, we see some really interesting information from the Blue Zones. What really stands apart is this connectivity or community connection. And I'll just share with you a little what we see in each of the regions because they are all different. So it doesn't mean that we need to emulate or copy any one of them here. We just need to see what are we doing here and how can we do something parallel that gives us the same kind of benefit. But what is really strong is from an element of community, there is a huge respect for individuals, for elders, loved ones, partners, life partners, children. There's a huge amount of time and effort and love and connection that is put into that particular relationship. You also find that in some of these communities, they've had the same friends for a lifetime, which I think in, certainly in, in, in my life, I can't say any of that. You know, I might have had some from school days, but you start to lose touch with them. I can't even begin to imagine how incredible it must be to have had friends for a lifetime that know you and your family from when you were really small right up until oh, yes. when you're really old. Mm. There's, there's also a sense of community and togetherness that we see. For example, in the Linda Loma community, which is a Seventh-day Adventist community in California, we find that belonging to a faith-based community can add on or may add on an additional 4 to 14 years of life, just being part of that um, of having this level of spirituality and connection and faith-based community that, that you are part of. We also see that all of the individuals in these blue zones downshift on a regular basis. There's a level of relaxation, and I'm not referring to kicking back and watching Netflix for two hours <laughs> at the end of the day. A very different type of, of, of relaxation. In the Seventh-day Adventist community, obviously prayer is part of their daily life, and this is something that they do to, to downshift. In Akaria, they have a nap, you know, um, which, is, which is wonderful. In Sardinia, they have happy hour. And happy hour is really a, unlike happy hour here, which is, I think, just a, a cheap way to have a, a couple of drinks and a, and a salty snack. Yes. <laughs> you know, five to six <laughs> o'clock happy hour. <laughs> Um, the happy hour that they are referring to there is coming together at the end of the day with friends or with family in a little taverna, having a small amount of wine, sipping on that and catching up with what has happened during the day and what people have experienced during the day. So it's really, it's, it's connectivity. It's not happy hour binging. Very different kind of, very different kind of concept there. And then in Okinawa, in Japan, there is a downshifting when the individuals, especially the elderly, connect with their ancestors, where there is this huge respect for ancestors and they bring an element of tradition and connection into their activity during the day. 
There is also, moving aside from connectivity and, and communication, there is also a huge focus on movement. And movement is just natural movement, whether it's gardening, whether it is a shepherd walking you know, his flock on hills, whether it is walking across to your neighbor or walking to the local market. It's natural movement. It's not a... Um, exercise. It's not exercise, yes. It's not this forced exercise that we are, are used to. And it is also part of daily life. It's not a you know gym between 6 and 7 p.m. in the evening or gym 5 to 6 in the morning. And sometimes we have to do that. But I think if we learn how to bring regular exercise and movement into our day, it is far better than having this scheduled focus on, on exercise. And then we don't need to worry about this, you know, bringing in a gym session every single day. There is also a large slant towards plant-based and a large focus on what is seasonal. And I recently planted, um, so this is my first year being up here in, in Johannesburg, but I recently planted um, some strawberries. And strawberries is one of the plants that I will probably not buy from the shops because they really are sprayed a lot and there's a lot of pesticides in them. But yesterday I had my very first local strawberry and I cannot tell you, I wish I could have shared it amongst everybody that I was with yesterday just to have a little taste of it. That incredible scent from it and the sweetness from it um, is absolutely amazing. If I think of some of the produce that is ferried in from across the world and it arrives and it looks absolutely beautiful, but when you bite into it, there's just, you know, a dry orange or um, there's just no flavor and, and taste in that. So local seasonal produce, really, really important um, in, in that particular region. And we also find there is huge power in herbs. I think we, we often underestimate or maybe we just are not aware of the huge power that is actually in, in herbs. Drinking herbal teas... We'd only need a very small amount of herbs in our diet on a daily basis and just having different types of herbs. One of the best that I can recommend is rosemary. Really powerful in talking to, to genes. But any kind of, of, of herbal tea or having, you know, make it an effort to bring a herb in every single day to your, to your diet. Whether so you're just using steep it. it in boiling water. Yeah, just steep it in boiling water, exactly. Or even into your into your meals at night, bringing herbs into there. Oh, and, and also from a plant-based perspective, what is also included on a regular basis is legumes. Legumes being all the different beans, chickpeas, lentils, fava beans, broad beans, black-eyed peas, etc. They contain a large amount of nutrients which are beneficial to talking to genes in the body again. And I think here in South Africa, we don't, we're not really a society that uses a lot of legumes in our everyday meals. And I think many of us, if we don't eat legumes on a regular basis, when we do include them, feel that it's, you know, we get a lot of bloating and discomfort. And um, the idea then to bring legumes into your diet is to do it slowly. So even adding a tablespoon a day and slowly increasing that amount so that you can start tolerating 
the legumes into your diet. So this is a, a huge focus that, that they have there. Anita, you've touched on nutrigenomics, but for someone like me who has never heard the word before, could you just explain that uh, in detail, please? Sure. So nutrigenomics is the study of how the foods we eat can affect the way our genes work. And so if I back up a little and talk about our genes, our genes are our blueprint and our genes never change throughout our life, but we can impact our genes by turning them on or turning them off. And this is where the this is where nutrigenomics comes in because through different bioactives in our foods, this is how we can turn our genes on and off, and we can um, upregulate certain functions or downregulate certain functions. The blueprint that we have, our genetic blueprint, is the instruction for creating proteins in our body, and proteins is what runs the body. The proteins make different enzymes, um, the proteins make our hormones, they make our neurotransmitters. Our body runs on proteins and the instructions are found in our genes. And so we have over the years, but only fairly recently, started to understand which foods we can eat that will start to talk to our genes so that when we know this particular food upregulates this particular gene, then we can start to impact our health positively by doing that. Is that an individualized approach? Yes and no. If, if we have a look genetically, we have certain key biochemical processes that run in our body. And these biochemical processes are like the cycles that run in the body. And all of these cycles operate in the same way in each individual on a cellular level. And so we can take specific foods and we can include specific foods in a diet in order to impact these particular cycles that are running in, in the body. If we want to take it one level further, we can look at an individual's genetic test and see where their genes have a variation and where they have a variation, we can then give, we can then provide very specific nutrients for that particular gene. So what we also understand about genetics is that when there is a particular protein being formed, there is often what we refer to as a cofactor, which is a specific nutrient. So it might be we need manganese or we might need selenium. And so knowing which particular foods contain that particular nutrient is then beneficial and that's how you can provide a level of individual support for somebody which is more targeted. So if I understand correctly what we can get from the research from the blue zone areas is general principles that benefit those people and that could also benefit us. Correct. Although as you say we can we can uh, apply them in a way that's a little different like eating marojo. Yes, in, in South Africa. Correct. Correct. But your expertise is also having people's genetics mapped. Correct. And then you can take it that step further that you mentioned. Correct. So, so if they have a specific allergy or 
we've done a whole podcast on this. If we, we have, have. A, sp- <laughs> a specific health problem, mm-hmm. then you would know or you would research how to how to respond. support them. Correct. Yes, how to support them Correct. with that specific problem. That's right. Yeah. A quick note on what I do and why I do it. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My weekly podcast episodes and the articles on my website focus on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode and article features a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. I love the fact that my website has had visitors from 100 countries so far and that I've featured 90-plus experts. Don't forget the up-close-and-personal articles on my website. They offer you a glimpse of the person behind the expert. If you're a wellness expert who'd like to be featured on my platform, just click on Services. Now, back to my guest. Can you suggest some practical tips for incorporating the habits and practices of the blue zones into one's life? I think some really simple ways that we can include some of those those habits. If we first first of all, if we have a look at nutrition, we can include herbs in our diet. Something really small and something simple to do. So whether it is adding it to our evening meal or whether it is drinking it as a tea during the day to include a herb and and change it. You know, let's do, we do marjoram, let's do thyme, let's do parsley, let's do rosemary, etc. Then we can also include foods that contain some of the bioactives and two specific bioactives which are really supportive for the body is quercetin, which we found locally in the allium products and alliums are your onion family onions spring onion leeks um, chives any of those particular foods if you bring into your diet on a daily basis and change it you know so don't always have onions when we now move into to leek season then switch it and move and use leeks and when spring onions are growing then move into spring onions so because we are we are looking at getting a wide variety of nutrients from the vegetable for example if you look at a carrot a carrot contains over a hundred specific compounds that are beneficial to our health goodness me so we can't just take a supplement and say well let's let's take a Let's, let's take something like vitamin C because we know vitamin C is found in a lot of fruit and vegetables. When we take a supplement, we're taking one specific nutrient from it. Carrot, over 100. So rather eat your carrots. Okay. Um, the other bioactive, really important for the body, is a nutrient or a compound called sulforaphane. 
sulforaphane is found in cruciferous vegetables. And your cruciferous vegetables range from the strong tasting ones like Brussels sprouts, which many people don't like, down to broccoli and cauliflower um, and watercress and rocket. And one of the mildest tasting cruciferous vegetables, if you are one of those individuals that don't like crucifers, is bok choy, which is an Asian vegetable. And it's very mild tasting. And if you add different sauces or, you know, maybe a soy sauce or a tamari sauce, if you're having it in a stir fry, it takes on the taste of whatever you're cooking it with. And so it's very mild. I would encourage everybody to eat a cruciferous vegetable every single day, preferably a raw one, because the raw cruciferous is where we get sulforaphane from. And we can also get it from broccoli sprouts. And what's interesting is that there are some individuals who have a, a gene that is very sensitive to the bitterness in cruciferous vegetables. And so when I'm talking with a client of mine, if they say to me, I can't eat cruciferous, they, they just fart too, I, I just hate the taste, don't, don't like the taste. What I would then move them towards is try bok choy and let's see if you can tolerate that because it's fairly neutral. So those are the two families I would include as cruciferous and allium. And then from a, a lifestyle perspective, I think what is so key is this community aspect, being part of a community. And so I would, I would challenge everyone listening to find a community they can be part of, whether it is faith-based, whether it is connecting more with family, whether it is volunteering and, com and connecting in a community, whether it is a hobby. But the research is very, very clear that there's, there's, a, there's a research paper done in, um, I think it was in 2014, talking about how low levels of connection and social isolation turn on the inflammation gene. That's fascinating. Yeah. And they turn off the gene that supports viral protection. So if we look back at what has happened in 2020 and 2021, when we had this social isolation, we are actually increasing our levels of inflammation. And what happens then is that we have these inflammatory cytokines that are turned on in the body. And in some individuals with their own unique genetic makeup, they don't turn inflammation off as readily. And so by having this lack of community, lack of connection, we are turning on this inflammatory response. We're turning down or dialing down our um, response for viral support. And this also extends to um, areas like marital discord, poor relationships, and so if you have that in your life, then address it. You find someone who can help you through it, resolve it, because that continual, that continual discord that you are feeling is actually impacting your body on a genetic level. And so I would say finding a way to increase and improve your community connection, as well as addressing any relationship issues that you've got that are causing problems.
Where can listeners learn more about your work? My website is called myhealingspace.co.za and um, I also have a weekly newsletter that I send out and so you can go and visit my website and sign up for my newsletter and I share information on a weekly basis there. Thank you. Can I ask you a quick fun question? Sure, sure. I know you love nature and I think that some of the most magnificent creatures on earth are birds of prey. So my question is, if you were a bird of prey, on which mountain or in which area would you like to build your nest? I think that having gone through the blue zones and really loving the selection of food from Sardinia, I think that I would probably <laughs> find somewhere, somewhere high, somewhere peaceful, somewhere with amazing views. And I would probably do Sardinia because I think, you know, even just picking up scraps, not that a bird of prey is going to pick up huge amounts of scraps, but I think I would have loads of wonderful food to eat there and live a really long life. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Anita. And thank you for illuminating this subject of which I knew very little. And thank you for the practical tips that we can come away with. My pleasure, Mariette. Thank you. To our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. You're welcome to go to my website, www.marietsneiman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love and intimacy, parenting, emotional health and managing life's challenges. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneiman Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneiman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 